You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Have you uh, heard of this thing called the Giving Pledge? Anybody familiar with this? This is the graphic, the Giving Pledge. This is kind of an interesting phenomenon that's taking place. The Giving Pledge is an effort to help address society's most pressing problems by inviting the world's wealthiest individuals and families to contribute at least half or more than half of their net wealth to philanthropic or charitable causes either during their lifetime or at the reading of their will. It's kind of a, an interesting phenomenon. In 2010, this Giving Pledge campaign was formally announced by Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Now, each person or family who makes a pledge, they can decide how their, their money is invested and how it's used, all right? But in 2010, these two guys, Buffett and Gates, started recruiting billionaires to take this pledge. Now, Bill Gates is, is probably arguably one of the wealthiest men on the planet. His net worth is $85.7 billion, with a B, okay? And Warren Buffett is no slouch either. He's worth $76.1, though he is, he is trailing the young Gates, okay, in the uh, net worth battle. But these two men have a significant amount of wealth. They have pledged over half of their, their net assets to this cause. And so they've earned the right to go to other billionaires and say, why not step up and let's make a difference in the world's problems? Today, there are 158 from 60, 16 different countries that have taken this pledge. And they have pledged $732 billion dollars to tackle the world's problems. One example is Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan. They have taken this pledge. Zuckerberg, as you know, is the 32-year-old founder of Facebook. And here's what he wants his money to be invested in. He wants to find a cure for all the diseases by the end of the century. You heard me right. All diseases by the end of this century. Kind of a huge goal. But he's already started to put his money where his mouth is. Along with his wife, Zuckerberg has already donated $3 billion to medical research with the goal of helping scientists and engineers to put an end to diseases around the world. Not only does he think this is doable, he thinks it's possible that it could happen within his daughter's lifetime. Zuckerberg and his wife announced in late 2015 that he and she planned to give away 99% of the money they've earned from Facebook. And just so you know, Zuckerberg is worth $56.7 billion. That should be celebrated. That is some seriously extravagant giving. That is something that we should get excited about. Because a lot of times I think we think rich people tend to think about just themselves. And 1% of $56 billion is still a significant chunk of change. I'm sure all of us would be willing to try to live under that, right? But the truth is, he could easily have kept it all for himself. As well as Gates and Buffett 
and the other 158 who have taken this pledge. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series, John, A Case to Believe. And I want to encourage you to turn to John, the 12th chapter. That's where we're going to study this morning. And we're going to look at a story of extravagant giving from someone who didn't have billions of dollars. In fact, this, this young woman didn't really have much at all. She was single. She was living with her sister and her brother. And yet she gave a gift to Jesus that was radically extravagant. In fact, people are still talking about it today. Look at verses 1 and 2. We'll kick this off. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. John tells this story, but Matthew in Matthew 26 and Mark in Mark 14, they also tell this story. They're what we call parallel passages when we are studying the the Gospels. And in both of these parallel passages, unlike in John, John doesn't tell us this, but the parallel passages tell us that this party was hosted by a guy by the name of Simon the leper. You talk about a nickname that really would be brutal. Who are you? I'm Simon. My friends call me the leper. (laughs) I don't know. We're not sure exactly, uh, we're not clear exactly how Simon got this nickname. But the speculation is that Jesus had miraculously healed him of leprosy at some point prior to this dinner. Thus, that may be part of the reason why he's hosting the dinner in honor of Jesus. John makes it clear, though, in the text that Mary and Martha and Lazarus have some close ties to Simon's household because Mary's actually serving part of the meal. And Lazarus is among the dinner guests, lounging at the table with Jesus and the other guests. And then out of the blue, Mary does something that many will think is ridiculously wasteful, and yet others will consider it crazy extravagant. Look what verse 3 says. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary extravagantly expressed her gratitude to Jesus. Mary extravagantly expressed her gratitude to Jesus. Without warning, Mary appears and begins to pamper the feet of Jesus with an extravagant lotion. John refers to this lotion as a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Now, I personally think nard could use some marketing help, okay? Because I, if I'm going to buy my wife some perfume, I'd like a pound of pure nard, please. She's going to, hey, babe, I got you nard. That sounds so much like lard, and I can't only imagine, you know, just putting a little lard on. So they could use some help. But here's the reality. Nard was very, a very expensive perfume that was imported from the Himalayan region of India. Luxuries like pure nard were highly prized in the ancient world, both by men and women alike. 
So with something so important to a woman like Mary, as a pound of pure nard, look what she does with it. Verse 3 says she poured it on Jesus' feet. She just emptied the, the entire thing onto Jesus. John emphasizes Mary's lavish extravagance. And this is important. She's not reserved with her treasure here. She applies so much costly nard to Jesus' feet that she has to use her hair to mop up the excess. Some of you may remember when John the Baptist was announcing the arrival of Jesus. He said that he was not worthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandal. Do you remember that? It's interesting because a rabbi's disciple was essentially a student who was also a servant to his teacher. But the disciple was never required to care for the master's feet. It's like he was to care for everything else, but the feet were like really gross and no one would ask their disciples to do anything with their feet. The responsibility of caring for someone's feet was often dictated to the lowest task, as the lowest task of all. In fact, for example, in that day, it was customary to have someone wash your feet when they were a guest in your home. This task was almost always designated to the lowest ranking servant in the home. And if you didn't have servants, I'm assuming that it was given to the youngest child. So when John the Baptist said that he was not worthy to untie the strap of Jesus' sandal, he was saying that he was actually lower than one of his disciples. Mary probably felt the same way. She didn't measure up to sit at the table during this dinner, but she gladly pampered the feet of Jesus. She she was happy to do for him what the lowest servant would have been required to do. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you did something like that for Jesus? When did you last give Jesus a gift that would fall in the category of extravagant? Maybe it was financial in nature, or maybe it was something to do with your time, or, or maybe you were using your service, or maybe it was a combination of all three. When was the last time you broke open your jar of expensive perfume and poured it out on the feet of Jesus? It's interesting that in verse 3, John also makes this point. He points out that the experience was a pleasant one for everyone who was present because, he says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Everybody got to enjoy it. Mary's stunning act of worship brought a fragrance to Simon's house where they were eating this dinner. And when you bless Jesus, there's a high probability that you can end up blessing other people in the process. We've been blessed over the last five years here to have several interns. Here's uh, a couple of the couple of guys that have been serving. This is Stephen Little, preached last week, did a great job. Some of you know David Green. He teaches in the, uh, in the Journeys class, but he's also taught from uh, this platform a number of times. 
We've been blessed to have these guys and others who have served with our staff. And they've done this amazing job of adding to the ministry of what our staff team can do. That all was made possible. These guys are not on our budget. We can't afford them. They're so expensive. No, I'm serious. This, we can't afford them because of the tight nature of our budget. But they're here because of the generosity of a group of individuals and families who have said, beyond their giving, they want to invest in what God is doing to support the staff here, but as well to support the kingdom. This investment has not only blessed our staff, and it has immensely, but it's also blessed our entire church. When you bless Jesus, you can also end up blessing a whole lot of other people. Well, let me ask this question. Why do you think Mary did this? I mean, this is a radical kind of uh, moment. Right? No one anticipated this was going to happen. And everybody knew it happened because they could smell the fragrance. I mean, even if they were in a conversation over here, all of a sudden they turn and go, what, what is that? That's, man, that smells good. Somebody says, it's nard, you know. And <laughs> see, nard needs something else, like, you know, electric stallion. That's what that was, electric stallion. Yeah. Oh, okay, now it makes sense because it smells great, right? But the truth is, everyone knew, why did she do it? You mean, some scholars say it's highly probable that this perfume was some kind of gift to her. Maybe it was some part of her retirement. It was an investment. It was very valuable. Why did she, why did she spend it all on Jesus? I'm sure it had something to do with Jesus raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. But I sense that it goes much deeper than that. Mary was showing her devotion to Jesus before it was too late. Jesus had been talking that he's going to die. And Mary is saying, I'm going to bring the roses, so to speak, while he's still alive instead of bringing them to his funeral. This is an interesting thought. Her act of love and worship was public. It was spontaneous. It was sacrificial. It was lavish. It was personal. And it was unembarrassed. In fact, in the parallel passages, both Matthew and Mark say, they quote Jesus saying, this is a good work. This is a good work. Fanny Hamilton was an elderly lady who was a youth coach at Southland Christian years ago when I worked there. She was like a grandmother to several hundred high school students. These kids loved her. I mean, they just loved her. She was almost like the mascot, you know. She was so loved by everybody. Fanny had a serious stroke while she was a youth coach, and that left her with some partial paralysis. But after a period of therapy, she came back to working with uh, the students again. Only now she came with a cane and a slight limp. Fanny's stroke gave the student minister at the time, Brewster McLeod, this brilliant idea, powerful idea. The student ministry was going to have a living funeral for Fanny. Think about it. She'd already flirted with death once, so why not have an event where everyone who loved this sweet little lady could show up and express just how much she meant to them before it was too late to tell her those things. So a date was set, arrangements were made, and uh, everybody showed up. And Fanny was seated 
at a place of honor right there on the forefront of the stage and people shared what Fanny meant to her, meant to them. Student after student shared. Not a dry eye in the house. And Fanny was soaking it all up, just like a sponge. She was so deeply blessed that night. It was one of those unforgettable nights. Nobody will ever forget it. You know, it was about a year or so later that Fanny had another stroke, and she would eventually pass as a result. Her funeral was a special, a special occasion as well, because now Fanny was with Jesus. But the students who were involved in the youth ministry at that time will tell you that the night of Fanny Hamilton's living funeral was one of the most memorable events of their time in student ministry because they got to tell this sweet little lady, Fanny Hamilton, just how much they loved her. I think in her own small way, Mary had a living funeral for Jesus that day at Simon the leper's house. She didn't say anything. Not a word was uttered that we have a record of. She just emptied this jar of pure nard on Jesus' feet because she wanted him to know how deeply grateful she was for him. And the cost of Mary's act was significant. It was expensive. In fact, this perfume we read in verse 5, it was worth a year's wages. And literally, literally, this is what the Greek literally says. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, a denarius was a small silver coin often used by the Roman world as payment for one day's work for an unskilled labor. That was the kind of the measurement of the denarii. In terms of what a 300 denarii, denarii would be worth today in U.S. dollars, it's somewhere between 22000 and 30000 so the complaint was that Mary had just wasted about 22 grand to 30 grand of pure nard. That was a bit of the rub. Here's what King David famously said. Some of you know this. In 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel 24, 24, he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me what? Nothing. And I think Mary seems to agree with David in this. She gave Jesus something that cost her tremendously. The result of her extravagance is that the blessing of her actions has spread all around the world. Matthew records in Matthew 26, 13, Truly, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus predicted that people will be talking about this one action all over the world, wherever the gospel is preached. This one act of lavish extravagance has blessed Jesus, and it's still being talked about today. Here's the deal, though. Not everybody was a fan of Mary's extravagance. And you might be surprised where the problem comes from. It comes from the disciples. Look what John writes in verses uh, 4 through 6. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, wa who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. 
He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Not everyone was impressed by Mary's display of humble devotion. There was one there who did not approve, and that was Judas. Now, we know Judas because we know the gospel story. We know he's a betrayer. John points it out here. He says Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him. We, we read about this. We, we read it in chapter 6 as we were studying through the previous chapters. John points out that Judas would be a betrayer of Jesus. But he's the one who starts the dialogue. He watched what Mary did and he became upset. He objected by saying, what are you doing? Do you not realize, I mean, do you not realize how much this ointment is worth? Surely you do. You should have sold it and given the money to the poor. Here Judas raises a seemingly valid objection to Mary's actions. According to him, the perfume that was just used as a foot lotion was worth a year's wages, as we've talked. But John gives us a look behind the curtain here. He points out that Judas is not speaking as the champion of the poor. Though he portrayed himself as being driven by humanitarian concerns, John tells us what's in his heart. He's a thief. Now, it's a shock to think that one of Jesus' 12 is a thief, but that's true. And he's ironically the keeper of the group's money bag. He's their treasurer. He shed no tears for the poor. He's only shedding tears over the lost opportunity that he could have access to this large sum of money that he could have embezzled. John's aware that Judas misappropriated group's funds when he writes this, but we're not sure how he knew that. It may have been that there had been some minor incidents in the past and they're starting to add up, or, or it's possible that all of this came to light after Judas's death when someone else assumed the responsibility as group treasurer. No doubt, Judas had already decided to abandon Jesus, and he wanted to get what he could out of what he considered to be a bad situation. Let me give you this important note. There will often be someone who says, that's not good stewardship when you're planning to do something extravagant for the Lord. That's not good stewardship. They'll try to spiritually point you in a different direction. Sometimes... Someone criticizes your intent to express your gratitude to the Lord, and it causes you to pause. And sometimes we never take another step. It's easy to end up doing nothing. The truth is, I'd rather take the risk of doing something extravagant for Jesus and being wrong than to wait and not do anything at all. Wayne Smith used to say, if if you wait until all the lights are green, you'll never go downtown. I almost made it every light today, except the one on Liberty Road got me. Everyone was green. If you wait till everything is perfect before you act, guess what? You'll never take a step. Don't allow critics to keep you from showing your gratitude to the Lord. Well, Jesus steps into the story. Jesus refuses to tolerate the criticism of Mary. Listen to what he says. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. 
It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. It was Judas who started the criticism, but sad to say, the other disciples seemed to join in. And they they didn't really know who Judas was at the time, so they're following his lead. It seems to make sense. They didn't know that he would one day betray Jesus here very soon. But they admired admired him for his quote-unquote concern for the poor. But Jesus said, this act of Mary's, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Jesus is telling the disciples, Judas and the others, who are critics, to shut it down. Because Mary should be allowed to treasure her act of devotion without all of this criticism. Jesus' justification for approving Mary's extravagant blessing is found in verse 8 when he says, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Which I think is a simple little lesson on priorities that he gives us. And that is always put Jesus first. Period. It's not easy to do in the world we live, but always put Jesus first. If we immerse ourselves in social action but neglect our relationship with our Lord, we have missed what is better. In this moment in the story, the opportunities for personal interaction with Jesus are rapidly escaping. And Mary seems to be the only one who intuitively understood this. She's the one who's not going to show up at his funeral saying, I wish I had told him I loved him before he died. She seizes the opportunity and she acts out of this deep love that she has for the Lord. And she does it in full public view. She seems to be courageously unconcerned about what other people think. Here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Are your opportunities to extravagantly express your gratitude to Jesus slipping away? I want to challenge you to bless him. I want to challenge you to extravagantly bless the Lord. I'm not going to give you a direction on how to do it. Just listen to the Spirit of God. I want to challenge you to to do a little bit of a merry kind of moment. What would that look like for you? I want to close by telling you a story about somebody that went kind of merry, if you will, in extravagance. Two weeks ago, we finished the sponsorship of the Adopt-A-Verse initiative, which was incredible. And you see these placards up here. I was so blessed to get the email while I was away saying, hey, we've sponsored, it's fully sponsored. And I want to thank every single person who participated. Jessica was telling me that over 300 families and individuals sponsored one or more verses in this overall initiative. And that's, that's huge. Our team was working very, very hard, though, to get the entire book of John sponsored before I left in Nepal. They had it in their mind that they wanted me to be able to tell the translators that the Book of John was fully funded. But when I left, there were just under 100 verses still needing to be sponsored. But on Sunday, March the 5th, there was one guy 
and I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. One guy, and I'm assuming he's representing his whole family, but he did something extravagant that Sunday. He sponsored the remaining 71 verses of Adopt-A-Verse. They'd already sponsored 20-some verses, but they decided to be extravagant and invest nearly $2,500 to cover the last 71 verses. And the only reason I know that they did this was so that people who don't have the Bible in their language will at least have the Gospel of John. The timing of it was not lost on me. The project was completed because somebody broke open the top of their bottle of pure nard and extravagantly poured it out on Jesus. It's simple in some regard, at least compared to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and and a lot of other people. But to these folks, I'm pretty sure it was a big deal. It was a big sacrifice. I want to challenge you to do something similar. I don't know what it looks like, and I'm not doing it so that you benefit this church. I just want you to do it to Jesus. That's all. Let's pray. Lord, my heart is so full today because of the gratitude that I have for these people and for the generosity that I see in this place all the time. I just pray, God, that we would have not just generous hearts, but we would have extravagantly generous hearts, that we would hold nothing back to invest in blessing you and honoring you. God, I I pray that in the sense that Mary seemed to be crazy extravagant, that we might find a way in our own lives to do something like that. Maybe we can't do that every day or every week or even every year, but maybe we could do it one time. And maybe nobody needs to know about it. Maybe we do it anonymously or maybe we do it in such a way that says, hey, um, this isn't about me. Like John the Baptist said, I need to, I, he needs to increase so that I, and I need to decrease. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, we would live in such a way with a spirit that comes from you directing us in some extravagant kind of way. I don't know what it looks like. I just want to be faithful to what you teach us. Lord, you set the example of what extravagant love looks like when you came to the cross and you died there for us. You didn't have to do that, but you did so that we might have a relationship with you. And that set a high bar of extravagant love, and we're grateful. Thank you. We'll never be able to measure up to reciprocate that. And yet, Lord, wouldn't hurt us to try. Thank you, God. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your sacrifice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never taken the step to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to encourage you to do that today. I'm going to be down front. I would love to talk to you. I don't know if you know this, but every Sunday morning, there's a group of people that meet right over here in the next step room, and they pray for you. If you're not a Christian, they pray for you every Sunday that you would take that step. That's the hope we have for you. You may not even know how deeply you need Jesus in your life, 
But we're praying that you'll take that step. If you need to do that today, will you do that? We're going to stand together and worship him. Come if you have a need.